and uh, spend some time in the Word of God out of the book of Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to try not to preach uh, too long tonight because I want to get my point across. And um, I was greatly driven with this message. In fact, I got my Sunday morning sermon done uh, Friday. I was... Uh, just amazed at how God began to just allow that to flow. I put it down and uh, God began to help me in that. Uh, this sermon was not too far from that as well in the sense that I really felt the, the, the confirmation of God uh, to preach this tonight. There was a movie that came out many years ago. Um, uh, girl, can I get my water? I don't have the bottle here with me. Uh, a movie that came out um, several years ago uh, titled Bruce Almighty. And uh, this movie, what, what really began to um, disturb me about it, thank you, girl. What disturbed me about this movie uh, was the contents in which it carried out. And the contents of this movie um, was a man who began to blame God for everything that was going on wrong in his life. The actor Jim Carrey, notoriously known for behaving as irritating as possible, um, blamed God for everything that went wrong in his life. His marriage was God's fault. Uh, his um, uh, children was God's fault. Or he didn't have a child. I think he had a dog. Was God's fault. His job was God's fault. Everything was God's fault. Everything was God's fault. And I begin to think about how interesting that this movie actually relates and connects to the many human beings that are on earth today who blame God for everything. In the recent weeks, I've come across some very interesting debates with some of the most hardcore atheists. Some of these were Christopher Hitchin, Hutchins, I think, Hitchens or Hutchins, he's dead now. Richard Dawkins, who's, I think, still alive but had a stroke. Peter Atkins, and if you just listen to some of this debate, very interestingly, they always seem to carry a very same thread along their conversations. And one of the things they always have in common amongst these, amongst these atheists is they always seem to blame God for everything that's going on in the world today. They keep pointing their finger at God. And when you listen to them talk, I don't know how anyone could stay an atheist because when I see them, not even being from a biased point of view, you can see so much of hatred, so much of bitterness in the words that they convey. They seem to be so hateful, very unfriendly by character, that so much so a natural, normal human being will never want to resort in becoming someone like that. But it seems so intriguing that the one thing these men have in common can we please silent the phone? 
Thank you. One thing they have in common is they've seemed to perpetually blame God. And I thought about that and I realized that many of these men, as I begin to look at their lives, seem to display one thing in common. And that is, they all had some kind of religious upbringing at home. Every one of them. Nearly every one of them, most of the atheists, were brought up in Christian homes. Christian parents raised up at home and somehow came to despise and hate the faith. And they, they despise it so much with a passion that until today, they're fighting it and resisting it. Now I begin to think about what really drives a person to blame God. And I realize it's the very same thing that causes a person to blame everyone else. You see, the lack of boundary results in one's inability to identify where your territory begins and where your territory ends. You know, when you go, we have these lines on the ground. These lines are meant to tell you you shouldn't cross them. These lines are meant to tell you where you should stop. These lines have a purpose. They are put there because we want to establish a boundary. Some of you remember I preached a series on boundaries and I had a tape all across the wall and that tape was known as the line of boundary. So you are not supposed to cross that line. This territory belongs to me. That territory belongs to you. So one of the noticeable things, uh, one of the noticeable realities I find is oftentimes someone who blames other people or rather blames God have failed to see where their territory begins and where it ends. And I'll elaborate in a while. The subject of blaming needs to be associated to the reality that there is a lack of boundary. Many people blame God when they have actually not done their part. That's the thing I want to talk about tonight. Out of Genesis chapter 3, I want to preach to you tonight a sermon I've entitled, It's Not His Fault. And I want you to look at this with me in Genesis chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. I want you to skip over to 17, verses 17 through 19 then. Then Adam, he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So here we find, a common phrase used in our culture today. Have you heard the phrase, an act of God? Right? Everyone wants to blame God. Somehow an earthquake happens is an act of God. 
Somehow a hurricane beats something, it's an act of God. Somehow, you know, when you get into an, uh, you know, some kind of uh, natural disaster, it's an act of God. Everyone wants to seem to blame God, act of God. But I want to draw some understanding concerning that because it seems like this word, act of God, is so blatantly thrown around with God being blamed with everything that seems to be unappealing. When things go our way, we don't blame God. We don't even give Him credit. But when things don't go our way, it's God's fault. It's God's fault. So God created men, as we see in our passage. You're going to learn tonight. You're going to learn. God created men, and according to Genesis, He gave them the outright privilege to reside in the garden with the only drawback that you should not touch this one singular tree. All the other trees you can touch. But this one single individual tree, you will not touch of it. This was God's boundary. Are you following me this evening? This was God's boundary. God said, this is my desire for you. I will allow you to touch anything and everything. My daughter, she probably will stone me after I tell this tonight. But this morning when I got up, and uh, I, 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 I took my, my shoes, I was going to polish them. And when I opened my polish, it was nearly empty. And I had it at least three quarter full. And so my first instinct was Jeremy. Because Jeremy wears leather shoes. And I thought it must be him who took my polish and okay, so I saw it, it was empty. I was I, I, I knew something was I kept quiet until I took the little sponge, I dipped it in the polish, and I started polishing my brown shoe, only to find out she had polished something black, and my brown shoe turned black. And at that point of time, I can only relate to what God was telling His children. Don't touch that tree. Are you following me? You can touch anything else, but don't touch my stuff. I got my office, you know, at home. I, you can do anything, but my office... And that's where they like to come and sit down and eat. That's the only place. The, way, the place you tell them not to touch is the place they want to touch. It's so human nature, isn't it? And this is exactly what God, the Father, was telling His children. He said, everything you can do, all this, all this, you can touch. But this one, and I want you to see, as God's command was clear, His command was, in fact, very fair. His command was just His command. If anything could be said, was filled with love for His children. And you find in this passage, Adam begins to respond to God when God questions him, have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Guess what Adam says? The woman you gave me gave me the fruit from the tree and I ate. 
the first retaliation of Adam. Think with me here. The first thing that Adam responses to God seems to display and narrate the sense of ingratitude, the sense of unhappiness with God's choice of wife for him. He doesn't just say, you know, the woman, but he says, the woman you gave me. You made me marry her. She's the reason I'm going through this problem. She's the cause of it. And so it's not a direct attack to God. It is a direct attack against God's choice of his wife. It was a direct attack against God's choice. And then he goes on and then he points his finger to God. So the context you find in this word that we find in this passage, the woman you gave me to be with. In other words, the woman is the problem and you are the problem. Are you feeling me tonight? And I can declare to you, he goes down this path, he begins to blame God, firstly for the wife that was given to him, then you see him blaming his wife as being the reason behind his fall now it don't always work out that way i'll tell you tonight there are times people blame their spouse before they blame god and there are times people blame god and then they blame their spouse but whichever the order may be i'm here to tell you somewhere along the line a person who fails to deal with the spirit of blaming will go on blaming and one day start Blaming God. It is the lack of boundary. Adam, in our text, by the question thrown at him, tells us that Adam, no doubt, felt attacked. Have you ever been questioned? Have you ever been asked something that you did not want to answer? Have you ever been asked a question that you did not want to give? You know, hello, yeah, pastor, where, where are you? Oh, uh, 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 on, my, on my way, I'm three minutes away. No, where are you? My question is, where are you? Not, not three minutes, where are you now? Are you, and, and so you, you, you give this answer that, you know what they always say? You want to answer, but you also don't want to answer. You want to kind of play in between. You want to kind of give an answer that doesn't get you in trouble, but also give you an answer that seems to give an answer to the question. And this is what happened with Adam because of the lack of boundary. And I'll talk about that in a moment. In a fit of defense, he begins to blame someone else for his lack of irresponsibility or responsibility. How many families, how many marriages, how many breakups happen because of the spirit that is strongly present, that's always blaming and finger pointing. It's your fault. Because of you, I can never come up in life. It's because of you, I can never achieve anything. Can I help you understand something? Blamers never succeed in life. I've learned that there are things that happens in life that are unfair and things that happen that are fair. And in both corners of the world, you have to learn to receive what is given to you and function and operate along those lines. See, it is interesting 
and it will be interesting to observe and note. What would have happened if only Adam admitted? Think. What would have happened? When God came to Adam and God asked him this question, did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat? What would have happened to Adam if Adam just turned around and said, God, I did it. I did it. I did eat the fruit. I did take a bite of that fruit. My wife gave it, I ate that. But you don't see that happening. I wonder if only Adam did that. I wonder if Adam refused and resisted the spirit of blaming someone else for his own downfall and his own problem. If he only resisted doing that, I wonder if God may have forgiven him and the trajectory of life may be different. 1 John 1.9, right? The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. He is faithful. And yet I see how many fathers, how many mothers until today go on blaming people for their lack of responsibility, affecting their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, because they refuse to take responsibility for the wrong they do. It's the, tr- it's the same principle that we see at work. Romans chapter 5, verses 15, but the free gift is not like the offense, the Bible says. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ abounded to many. One man's sin. One man's disobedience, one man's act of blaming. It's not my fault, it's my wife. It's the wife you gave me. He blamed both God and his wife in the process. And due to his action, let's look at humanity today and where we're at. Look at the mess that we're dealing with. We look at all that is happening because I understand if there's anything I can say to you this evening, listen to me carefully. Blaming God, blaming others eliminates the opportunity to repent and get your heart right. You know why? Because when you start blaming, you never take responsibility. It's never your fault. It's always someone else's fault. It's always someone else's problem. It's always someone else's issue. And so there's no need to repent. Because every time something wrong happens, you find someone to blame. You find someone to say something about. And I can tell you, it will not turn out well for you as it never turned out well for Adam and Eve. It's sobering to think about it. The magnitude that this man's decision has made on all humanity. You know we are the result of his action. Adam's decision to respond by way of blaming blinded him to see the privileges and the opportunities that God has given to him. I want to make this statement to you. Listen very carefully. When you start blaming people, you forget where you came from. You forgot that you're a mess. I'm a mess. 
we forget. We think that somehow everyone owes it to us. God owes me a non-offensive confrontation. God owes me. God is the one that should get this right with me. God is the one that should not be doing this to me. And we blame God. Like as though it's His fault. Like as though He is the one who's causing all of this to happen upon us. We'll talk a little more about that in a moment. But the point I make, you forget, I forget where we came from. Adam and Eve, by the nature of pointing finger at God, forgot all God has given them. The privilege to name the animals. The opportunity to reside in a place known as the Garden of Eden, a place of peace, a place of security, a place of safety, a place where the presence of God was with them. They were so blinded, they were not able to see all. They forgot all of that when they started to blame people, when they started to blame God. Years ago, we had a, a bird, two birds. And um, I looked at them and, you know, I thought, hmm, it'll be cute to take them out of the cage and kind of hold them, you know. And so I took it out of the cage and I thought the bird will be friendly with me. But no, it wasn't. It bit my finger. And the point is that at that point of time, I, would think, I was thinking to myself, I don't even remember what we called that, what the bird was called at that time, uh, what, what, what breed or species it was, but um, the, the, when, it, when, it began to, when it began to bite me, uh, I felt such a pain on my finger. Immediately, I just released it. I just let it go. And I think a lot of times we bite God's hands. When God is trying to give us direction, He's trying to help us. When He's trying to protect us. When He's trying to place angels that will keep us from falling. There was a story about a man who was a tow truck driver in Penang. And I remember reading the story. He was one of those men who won the Golden Star Awards uh, from the Star uh, newspaper. They were giving the, the, the Star Media Group were giving away these awards for those people who had done some uh, very notable and noble deeds. And one of them was this man who was actually a tow truck driver. He would drive on the, on the road uh, every day back and forth on the Penang Bridge and as he was doing that one day he saw a man that was about to jump from the bridge he went he jumped out of his car he went to help this man trying to save him that man turned right back around and bit his hands to in the in the verge of wanting to let him go and I think sometimes that's exactly the same thing we do to God that's exactly what Adam and Eve did to God they said, you told us not to eat, but guess what? We want to eat of it. And it's like the same imagery of a person biting the hand of God. We can become blamers. We can begin a point finger at God, but it will only result in us becoming more bitter and upset with life. Look at every blamer out there. Everyone that you stand and talk to and they blame their grandfather to their grandmother for all that's going on in life. And look how depressed they are. I'll let that bounce around. Let's talk secondly then about being blinded. Because one of the key 
fundamentals about blaming people is it can blind you from seeing your own flaws. You never see the flaws in your own life. It blinds you. Remember I preached last Sunday or maybe two Sundays ago and beyond the flaws and I spoke to you about seeing the log or rather the speck in your brother's eye but not being able to see the log in your own eye. And I think Eve, on the other hand, you read the text and the Bible says, the serpent deceived me. This doesn't stop. The husband blamed the wife, the wife blamed the serpent. And this continues to go on. This is a spirit that's been released. And this is exactly what I'm trying to talk about tonight. The blame game never ends. You have to put a stop to it somewhere. You have to say enough is enough. We're not going to blame your mom. We're not going to blame your dad. We're not going to blame your brother. We're not going to blame your sister. We're not going to blame our circumstances. We're going to change some things and pick ourselves up. Because from the husband, he'll go to the wife. The wife will go on and on and on. And this is something that if Adam had any form of wisdom to stop blaming someone for all that was going on, Eve would have never blamed the serpent. I believe that. You see, immaturity will always promote blaming. It is always someone else's fault. You see, this is what blinded Adam and Eve from seeing the very wrong they have committed. Think about it. They were the one who disobeyed God. But now it's God's fault. How sick is that? You are the one who disobeyed God, but now it's God's fault. And through the years, I have seen this to be true. I've seen people blame others for their incompetency. Cannot do the work, blame someone for it. Blame Microsoft. Blame Apple. It's their fault. You're not good at computer, it's their fault that you're not good. Are you with me? Or blame the church. You don't want to change, but the church is, is the church's fault. It's the pastor who's preaching the truth, it's his fault. Incompetency, inadequacy, I'm not good. Oh, everybody else is better than me. And you blame anybody who's better than you. You point your finger at anyone that's better than you without the desire to get better yourself. Are you with me tonight? Church, this is so true. You and I, in the fit of inadequacy, in the fit of the lack of knowledge, we don't want to spend time digging into knowledge, we don't want to spend time getting better at what we do, but we want to blame everyone. The only degree we can give some people is a degree in blaming. Never want to get better. I made up my mind a long time ago that if I'm going to be a good preacher, if I am going to be able to preach God's Word, I have to spend time in God's Word and in reading and in prayer. I have to do it. I can look at anyone else and I can feel inadequate and I have and I still do. There are some people I look at and wow God, look at the revelation they bring and I desire that. But sitting around and blaming it on my circumstances, oh my home is different. I don't have the, the good lighting at home. I don't have good people around me. I don't have enough place to study. I don't have... Beloved... 
you can go on blaming people. <laughs> I don't know why she's laughing. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but my point is, listen, listen carefully. I'm, I, all jokes aside, we cannot be too prideful to admit it. We have to come to a place where we stop pointing finger. Because look, look, look at Adam and Eve. They destroyed their whole destiny because they began blaming God. This was the last straw. I want you to think with me, okay, right here. Think with me. Their act of disobedience led them to this place where God began to question them. I believe they disobeyed God, no doubt. I believe they went against God's will. They rebelled against God. They did all the wrong thing, no doubt. But beloved, can I ask you a very simple question? If they only didn't blame God right here, I wonder if the outcome would have changed. This was the last straw. God questioned them. They had a choice. Admit it or blame. And usually, blaming is the last straw before you invite judgment or you invite trouble or chaos and long-term problems into your life. This is how dangerous blaming can become. This was the thing that they had to choose not to do. They had to stop blaming in order to get it right. It's so easy today for people to blame. It's so easy today for people to point finger at others. And I tell you why, beloved, because it removes the pressure from our lives to change. When you can blame someone else for your problems, you don't have to change. It allows us to continue down that same path. Job, Job began to blame God. In Job 19 verses 7, I want you to look at that text with me. Job 19 verses 7, the Bible says, If I cry out concerning wrong, I am not heard. If I cry aloud, there is no justice. Look at what Job is speaking about God. He's saying, when I cry, I'm not being heard. How do you know that, Job? You're not God. Stop blaming him. Job, how do you know you're not being heard? How do you know that God is not taking all of your prayers and he's putting them and storing them to answer you? But you see, in the fit of discouragement, in the fit of, you know, processing things in the wrong way, he became a person that blamed God. By virtue, Adam and Eve both eliminated the responsibility that were entrusted to them. They crossed their line. God reprimands Adam and Eve in our text. Look at this right here. And this is really what I want to talk about here. And then we bring this down. God confronts their disobedience. In verses uh, um, 17, He says, Because you have, heed, you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. God's instruction is very simple. You shall not eat of it. And in their disobedience, they chose to deal with their disobedience by blaming God. And I want you to catch this because as God reprimanded them, the consequences of their action was not God who brought it upon them. Can I tell you, listen very, very carefully here. What they experienced, what they faced was not God's fault. It was their own doing. 
This is why many people seem to fail in understanding it. They blame God. It's your fault. No, you ate the fruit. You disobeyed. Don't blame God for your disobedience. Don't blame God when you don't pray. Don't blame God when you don't obey Him in your giving. Don't blame God when you don't respond faithfully to His kingdom. Don't blame God when you're not living according to His word. And then say, oh, it's your fault I'm not blessed. No, it's not. You brought it on yourself. Not His fault. Stop blaming my God. Stop blaming Him for everything wrong that happens in your life. You need to take responsibility. Christians all over need to take responsibility for their action. They disobeyed. And guess what they did? They turned right around and said, it's your fault. Oh, really? Really? It's my fault. The consequences of their action was brought upon them by themselves. You know, you have people today that make bad financial decisions. And then, because they tithe, they expect God to bless them. But then they don't keep their money well. They swipe their credit cards, they are in debt over their shoulders, they cannot even survive. And then they say, God never provided me enough. No, you were a bad steward of your money. Stop blaming God. It's not God's fault. You see, what happens here is the failure to understand boundaries. Understanding what is God's and what is yours is very important. When they violated the boundary, they brought in a law that I call the law of sowing and reaping into effect. When you sow into disobedience, you reap the consequences of that disobedience. Amen. You do wrong, you reap the consequences of it. You can't run away from it. If, uh, 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 in all reality, if you are uh, 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 committing sin in a certain way and one day you fall sick and that sickness has to do with something you have been committing because you refuse to stop, you cannot blame God for it. It's your own action. And this is the scary truth. Oftentimes, people are blinded from seeing their own flaws by blaming God. They blame God for everything when they were the ones who brought the problem upon themselves. When we begin to lose sight of what is ours and what belongs to us, when we begin to take from God what belongs to Him, it changes us. This is not God. This is not Adam and Eve. Guess what they did? They went and eat of the tree that God said don't eat. It was not their tree. God said all the tree you can eat of, but this one singular tree, this one tree in the garden, don't touch of it. You know what was God simply saying? That's my territory. Don't touch that. That's mine. I don't know if it was God's or what, because the Bible says it's the, it had the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. But I believe, the Bible does say this in Genesis, in the beginning, it says that God created everything, didn't He? And then it also went on to say that God put that tree there. It was His. 
When you touch something God said don't touch, you face the consequences of what you were not supposed to do. And you know how human beings respond to that? They blame people. He made me do it. He made me. She made me do that. And that's why, beloved, I say to you, when you read this text, you can sense Adam was a man. Okay, that was not too deep. But Adam, being a man, was very defensive. Have you confronted a man? Hey, 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 what's your problem? Have you met, have you met someone like that? You know, you try to correct them, you know, no, bro, I just want to tell you, you know, hey, 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 hey. Okay, okay, I'm not going to say anything to you. Uh, Because you sense that many a times they tend to become very defensive when you touch areas of their life. They know they've been doing wrong. They don't want to confront it. And this is exactly what happened with Adam and Eve. Let me tell you something. It will be like someone coming to take my car without my permission. Walk into my house, take my car keys, go start my car, drive off, and then that's mine. That's my car. The least you should do is ask my permission. Okay, but they don't. Then when you say, hey, why you took my car? And they turn right around and say, my wife asked me to take it. Wait a second. You, <laughs> you walked into my house. You took my car keys. Belong to me. And then you drive off. And then you, you turn around and you blame someone else. Why? Because in essence, they never like to take responsibility. They don't like doing the right thing. Because it costs too much. Jonah, you remember the story of Jonah? He got so upset with God. Why? Why was Jonah so upset with God? You know what he told God? He told God, how can you forgive these people? Why are you so merciful to them? You know why Jonah got so frustrated and started blaming God? I tell you why, beloved, because he crossed his line. It was not God's will for him to forgive those people. It was God's will for him to do what? To just preach to them. The forgiveness part was God. It had nothing to do with him. But you see, Jonah was a busybody. Jonah had his nose into God's business. That's why he got so frustrated. And the only way to overcome his frustration is by blaming God. How can you be so merciful? Hey, dude, what's that to you? That's not your problem. I can forgive them a thousand times if I want to. I'm their God. It's not your problem. I forgive them. But you see, he was so nosy. Why did he become frustrated? Because to him, it's like, how can you forgive them? What's your business? What did God tell you to do? Did God tell you to go and preach? Did God tell you to go and forgive them? And you know, oh, the Lord bless you and you have to forgive them. No, God just simply said, go and preach. If Jonah simply went and preached without crossing his boundaries, he would not have had to blame God for his frustration. Are you with me? The boundary, when you step into God's place, when you try to take God's place, when you try to be more merciful than God, more compassionate than God, more patient than God, 
There are a lot of people who do that because they always feel as a Christian, I cannot open my mouth. Everything they tell me do, I must nod my head. Okay, can. Yes, yes. Okay, okay. But deep down inside them, they're frustrated. And why? You cannot blame anyone for that. You cannot blame anyone because you're depressed and you're sad. You cannot blame anyone and say, oh, my life is so bad. No, your life is bad, not because of anyone, because you don't take authority over it. Amen. You don't take dominion over it, but you want to blame everybody. Oh, my uncle is like this, my grandfather is like that. You breathe your own air. Stop living for other people. Amen. God has given you your life. Learn to live and please God, not anyone else. And if that was what Adam and Eve did, I'll tell you what we would probably not be in the mess we're in today. So, okay, encouragement. I've already given you the whole bombarding of the sermon, but I pray it helps you because I want to close with a little bit of encouragement. You know, the spirit of blaming really does something bad to us. And that is it robs us from seeing God's true character. God is a God of love, beloved. God is a God of mercy. He is a God of kindness. He is a God of all fairness. He is a God of justice. He is a God of patience. There is no one that can ever compare to the God we serve. But you see, in the spirit of blaming, what we can become is we can become blinded to God's true character. Adam and Eve were so caught up in blaming each other that they failed to observe God's goodness at work in their lives. They just couldn't see it. They just couldn't. Can you imagine this? Listen to me very carefully. God says, every tree in the garden you can eat, except this one. Is it worth blaming God for one silly tree? Think about it. Worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth pointing finger at God and saying, you're so unfair when He gave you the whole garden except one tree? Are we that blind to seeing that God is actually so good and yet we see only the bad? Genesis chapter 3, verses 5. God knows in that day you eat of it your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, let me give you two scenarios here. Number one, maybe there could be one day God may let Adam and Eve eat the tree, from the tree. Maybe. I don't know. If they remain in the garden, maybe one day. So, so if that was the case, maybe God was going to prepare them when they were ready for that kind of knowledge they would consume it. They didn't see it that way. Are you following me? They didn't see that God's delay in them not consuming from the tree could be God's method of training them and preparing them for one day they are ready to receive that kind of knowledge, they would probably get it. 
and God will allow them. Because the Bible doesn't deny, listen very carefully, the Bible doesn't deny that the fruit of that tree doesn't produce what Satan or the serpent said that it will produce. It did actually produce knowledge of good and evil. It did produce that. If you read later down the road, you would actually find that no doubt they did get what the serpent told them they would have. Knowledge of good and evil. And they, as the Bible says, would be like God. But maybe God was just not prepared to give it to them. Maybe God was waiting on a time when they had proven themselves to be faithful and then give it to them. And so therefore I present to you, before you blame God, why don't you give Him the benefit of the doubt? That maybe the only reason things are going on the way it is in your life it's not because he hates you and he despises you and he wants to trouble you. Like so many of these men, Christopher Hitchens and Richard Doss, uh, Dawkins and, and uh, Peter Atkins, all these guys, somehow, why don't you just give God the benefit of doubt? To prove himself. Maybe everything that's happened has happened for a reason. Maybe it's not worth blaming God for one single tree. Is it worth it? It seems to me that Adam and Eve, with the power of free will given to them, you see, all of us have free will tonight, every one of us. That's a gift from God. Seems to me that the free will God has given them as much as people try to blame God with Adam and Eve, oh, why did he make, why did he create that tree there? Why did he put that tree? All these debates that go on. Can I present to you this evening, maybe God created and gave them this power of free will, but they chose what they wanted. They chose. God didn't force them. They chose. And the crave for power, listen to Satan's words, in the day you eat of, of, of it, your eyes will be open, you will be like God, knowing good. What was the crave in them? To have some title, position, power. And in, in that crave for that, they fell, they failed, to see God as one who's fair, just, loving, merciful, gracious. A blaming person will never see the true character of God. You need to stay away from someone who constantly blames others. We've had people come to church through the end, and there are times you see uh, when they are not happy about something, they have to blame someone for their unhappiness. They're afraid to deal, oh, it's my wife's fault. It's my children's fault. It's my job. It's my boss. It's, and they go on and on and on. They took this very personal. You see, when you trust God's character, you'll never have to ever doubt him or question 
His character. You'll never come to a place where you begin to think, why is God unfair? Is God unjust? Is God not willing to help me? In this case with Adam and Eve, I want you to see this. I'm closing here. Just give me a few minutes. I'm closing. They, they saw it as something personal. Have you ever dealt with people who see everything so personal? Oh, pastor didn't talk to me. He hates me. He didn't call me. He don't like me. Everything they take, everything the pastor does, everything the pastor's wife, or everything some church member does, they take it personal. Oh, he looked at me. You see, he's looking at me. Everything is personal. You cannot live like that. This is what they were, it became personal. It was something that they wanted and they saw God no longer as a good, fair, just God. You know what they saw God as? As a tyrant who wanted to keep them from being blessed. Are you following me? Oh, you think you're all powerful, so you don't want us to have that part of it, isn't it? How evil of you. And they start looking at God in that bad eye. And this is where we can all come to when we face God's no in our lives. You know, there are times God says no to us. There are times we feel that God, we want this, and God says, no, it's not time. You can have everything, all this, no, all this you can have. That one thing you can't have. No, I'm not giving it to you. When the time is right, you will have it. Maybe that, that was, that maybe I'm giving you a sinner. Maybe that would have been the case with Adam and Eve. Maybe one day they would have eaten of the fruit of the tree by God's blessing. God would have said, one day you can have it. But think about it. This, this, was, this was the case. But yet so many times in our lives, how do we respond when God says no to us? Not right now, son. Not now, daughter. Maybe down the road, not now. I have a saying at home now. My children like to ask me and my wife nearly every day, Daddy, can we go swimming today? Daddy, can we go to the playground today? And with our schedule, with our schedule, I have always made the attempt to keep my 5 to 7 o'clock as free as possible to take them out. Go jogging, take them to the park, go swimming, do something like that with them, except Tuesday nights and Friday nights when they're Bible studies. The other days we try to go at about five to seven. But there are days I say yes to them and eventually we find out we cannot go. And so what they do is they start crying. <laughs> but you told us, you told us we can go. And they start whining and they put a drama and then they'll take my phone and call grandma and grandpa. Grandpa, take me swimming. And the whole scene, there's just Tamil drama that happens in the house. But you know what happens? In the fit of all that, I learned something. So they asked me yesterday, Daddy, can we go swimming? I said, no. They said, but why? Because if I tell you yes, you'll throw a drama afterwards. So I tell you, no, if suddenly we can go, you will be happy. So now onwards, I'll just tell, Daddy, can we go play? No. Daddy, can we? No. Daddy, can we go? No. Because I learned that sometimes no is a good word. 
And I'm not saying that, uh, I know it's comical with my kids, I'm playing with them, but you know, sometimes God looks at us and He says, you know, sometimes if I give you a hint that I'm going to give this to you, you go out haywire. Let me read to you a story and I close. I want to talk to you about Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford. Now, this man wrote a very famous hymn that many, many churches sing. It's a profound hymn. Incredible words that go with this hymn. And I'll tell you the hymn in a moment. He sang this song, writing it on a ship as he was sailing from Chicago to England. The title of the song, It Is Well With My Soul. It's a powerful hymn, powerful song, but listen to how this song came about. I want you to listen to this. You see, Horatio was a, fantastic, was a, was a very successful lawyer and attorney, or, an, or, or rather a real estate investor in Chicago. He was a lawyer and also a real estate investor. He was an, a very brilliant man, was doing very well. But what happened is, in 1871, there was a fire that broke out in Chicago. This fire consumed a lot of the properties in Chicago. You can read up about it, the Great Fire of Chicago. And this happened at a time, just at the point when his four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. So this was a double blow to this man. His buildings had all burned down. He had all invest in incredible investments in Chicago. Most of his buildings had burned down. And in the midst of all that, about the same time, his four-year-old son died of scarlet fever. So he thought to himself, spoke to his wife, he said, what we probably need is a vacation. We need some time off. Let's just go away for a while. And so in the bit of leaving, he was held back due to some business arrangements that he needed to attend to some business meetings. So he sent his wife off. And on this journey, the wife and the four daughters got on the boat, the ship, and they had taken off. They had left crossing the Atlantic Ocean. But as they were journeying, they met a tragic accident a terrible collision, and the boat sank. More than 200 people on that boat died. Four of, her, uh, uh, four of his children, Horatio's children, four of those girls died in that accident. His wife, Anna, survived the tragedy. When she arrived in England, she sent Horatio a telegram she, she sent a telegram over to him and on that telegram she wrote these words saved alone that was you can read up on it it's one of those famous telegrams that has stood the, uh, uh, the, the many testimonies and, and the stories and these were the words she put there saved alone Horatio understood that message immediately and he got on a boat and set sail to England. At one point during his voyage, the captain of the ship, 
who was aware of where the tragedy had happened, where the ship had capsized and sunk and had the accident, uh, the captain summoned for Horatio, called him in and said, this is where the shipwreck had occurred. As Horatio saw the scene where his children died, he went down to his cabin, pulled out a pen, and these words of comfort and hope filled his heart and mind. He began to write down the words from write down the words that came to mind. And he spoke and he wrote these words. He says, When peace like a river attended my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my Lord thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. And if you, if, if you listen to the words of the song, it's a beautiful song. But I'm here to tell you, beloved, Horatio had to make a decision that day. He had to make a choice. And that was simply this. Am I going to blame God for the loss of my children? For the failure of my business? For my buildings that have burned down? Or am I going to simply accept it as God's will? Because the words that ring through my mind, it is well, it is well with my soul, are words that Horatio was singing to simply symbolize to heaven and to God. Let your will be done in my life. I can accept it and I will accept it. I'm not going to blame you. It is well. I'm okay, God. Let your will be done. See, that's the heart of a person that comes to the conclusion it is not his fault. Don't blame him for the earthquakes and, and all the passage, all the, the Bible, and I wish I had time to tell you, but if you read all through the scripture, all that we see, the natural disasters, I can tell you it is the sin of men that is beginning to cause all of earth to react the way it reacts. Not God. It's not God's fault. Stop using the word, it's an act of God. It's not. God doesn't act that way. We brought it on ourselves. You know when Japan had, had all the, uh, there was a tsunami that broke out in Japan many years ago. It was such a massive tsunami. They found out in a godless nation, and all that was happening, and all that was trans the sin, the ungodliness, the resistance toward the gospel, it wasn't God's fault. God didn't bring that. People's sin brought that on them. Their own sin, their own disobedience, their own rebellion towards God brought that on. And I'm here to tell you tonight, we cannot blame God because it's not His fault. Me, my failure, my flaws, who I am is not God's fault. I need to accept what I've done wrong 
and I have to make amends and repent and correct it. It is well. It is well with my soul. I want you to bow your heads with me. It's not his fault. So many of these atheists 